Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. My name is Steve Surley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, especially St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa. They have what you need for every application at every price point. There is absolutely no reason not to be using Daiwa Reels. We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available everywhere you get your podcast 24-7. And don't forget uh, that you can always get it at our website, wefishasa.com. Wefishasa.com is recorded and produced in two locations in Chicago. Dave and I are separate. We send the audio down to our executive producer, Brad Nearman from Berserk Productions in Lando Lakes, Florida. He puts it all together, makes it sound as good as it does. On today's show, we will welcome Dan Johnson from St. Croix. We're going to visit with the Marathon Man. That's right. Jeff Kalinzinski is trying to do it again. Break the record for most fish caught in a 24-hour period for charity. He is the Marathon Man. Can't wait to get him on with Dave in a little while. And then I am going to get to visit with one of my favorite multi-species anglers. He is John Hoyer. Bass, muskies, walleye. He fishes for all of them in tournaments. He wins. He cashes a lot of checks. This guy is a fishing machine. He is John Hoyer. But first, let's turn it over to Dave Kranz, who's going to bring on our friend Dan Johnson from St. Croix. Take it away, David. As Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast, and this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. I'd like to welcome back Dan Johnston. How are you doing, Dan? Doing great, Dave. Thanks. Awesome. You know, uh, about once a year or so, we we cover the topic of line, and it's a big topic. There's, you know, braids and florals and monos and blends of all kinds of of different lines and coded lines and everything else. But it is an important topic, and, and it does make a difference on how many fish we catch, doesn't it? Well, there's no doubt. It's a big topic. And one thing, Dave, we always do when we do cover this topic is we just hit the tops of the trees on what means what in line. Yes. So give me like 30 seconds here. Long story short, braid, no stretch, cast a mile, low diameter. Um, awesome. Your fused line is the same as braid in terms of what it's made out of, except it's not braided like a girl's hair. It's more linear, so it's a little slicker, a little more critical with knots. Your fluorocarbon refracts light. In other words, light goes through it, so fish don't see it underwater. Uh, that's the big advantage. Plus, it's relatively low stretch, and it's stupid sensitive. And it sinks a little bit, which can be good. And then your mono has more of a float factor, just your all-around, middle-of-the-road, awesome line we all started with. So that's kind of what I like to start with it. Yeah, it's always good to have a little little base there and know what we're, where we're at. Um, but, yeah, the... Uh, uh, most reels that come uh, pre-spooled uh, from from any store, if you buy them and they've got line on them, it's probably been on there a while and it's probably too heavy. Uh, but most of the time they're coming with with a mono. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about that. The uh, uh, we've talked before about kids reels, push button reels. So what's the first thing we do when we get one of those? 
take it off and put a new line on it. <laughs> you know, I, I hate to laugh, but when we buy those combos, a lot of times, Dave, to your point, and I completely agree, the line's heavy, it's ropey, it's not a real high-quality line, and, you know, that's where it all starts. It's our only connection to the fish. Need to put a nice limp line on there. Go with, like, a Trilene XL or a Stren, something middle of the road. Just spool that up, go down to Dave's Bait and Tackle, and have them put it on because... That's another thing. You get a machine to put it on, it really works well. So that'd be where I'd start. But, yeah, your monos, again, it's high every knot under the sun. Nice little conservative stretch rate to it. Very user-friendly. Uh, just work. They work with every bait imaginable unless we get real weedy on the bass side where we absolutely have to have low stretch. Yeah, and, and uh, most line twist happens because people are using two light of a drag and and if you reel against that drag that all that line is going to do is twist so don't do that make sure you're and that goes for when if you're putting on your own line tighten that drag down as tight as you can get it hold that line firm and and put it on there i mean is it is is there any other tips that when you're putting on your own line i mean obviously the best thing to do is put it on with a machine but do you have anything else that you would recommend well let's be a little more specific on that your drag is not necessarily reeling on a drag on a bait caster because that reel is going around and around more vertically spinning and spin cast push button those go around sideways so they're absolutely 100 percent never reel against the drag on either one of those but then i would also add another thing that twists line big time is any lure that either flies around and around in the air or goes around and around and around through the water. Like you tie a MEPS number three without a swivel on it, your, your reel's trashed in two casts. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that that's another factor is understanding what, you know, what bait categories twist line and what reel categories twist line if we reel on the drag. Yep. Now, for most applications for live bait fishing, are you using uh, monofilament? Yeah, when I do it and I put a swivel in front of everything, nothing goes around and around worse than a, than a night crawler. <laughs> so, I, you know, I think that uh, I, will, I, will, I will use mono. I have used it with fluoro and sometimes with braid to fluoro if it's like the only rod in the box that's rigged and there's a crawler bike going and sometimes it's out of sheer laziness. All of them work, though. Um, but just remember, anytime you use a, a crawler on a hook or anything like that, especially for a kid, when we're more advanced, that's one thing. But for a kid, put a little snap swivel in front of that hook. Yep, good advice, good advice. Um, so uh, when would it be most likely that you would use fluoro and why? Fluoro is a godsend for any time we just have to get bit. And what do I mean by that? It's a, it's a low stretch line. It's extremely sensitive as a slight sink rate and fish don't see it uh, obviously everything i just said right there uh results in bites clear water pressured fish but also anytime we want to hold a bait in a in a in a depth zone a suspending jerk bait's the first thing i think about when it comes to fluorocarbon it's just an absolute um game changer i mean if you use it or not i mean you will will 100 get more bites on floral than you will on braid or mono um so i think that uh there's a lot of bottom contact baits too. Like for example, any type of finesse bass jig, whenever I'm pitching it anywhere, is always on straight fluorocarbon, not even braid to floral. Um, now, if I get in heavy vegetation, that can change, and I can go to braid for a lot of reasons. You need to get the fish out. It'll also cut vegetation. Absolutely. Now, um, what are some techniques that are 100% you have to use braid? 
Jigsaw Frog and Punching are the first two that come to mind without a doubt. But there's also other ones now, too. And I can only speak for myself, Dave, here. But if ever I'm throwing something small on a spinning rod that I need to get out a long ways with a light wire hook to get bites, the Ned Rig is a classic example. I'm running light braid to floral leader on that now. And the reason why is I'm throwing it sometimes, not always, but sometimes I'm throwing that thing a long ways, and when I get bit, you just kind of reel and lift, and you're in them. Number one. Number two, you can see that strike with braid unbelievably well, and it's really sensitive. Yeah, and I see a lot of guys now, uh, even the walleye guys are using braid, but they're using the high-vis, and then they're using a, a leader to that, and that's uh, probably the same reason that you're using it on a Ned Rig. It's lethal, and I'm using a longer leader than most people probably do. I mean, my leader sometimes goes down to the stripper guide in the rod, so it's about three-quarters the length of the rod and then another six foot on top of that. That's how long my leader is. Yeah. Again, we're talking about that water's super clear, and it's more, it gets in my head when that high-vis line, because I like it because I can see it, but I don't, it gets in my head that fish can see it too. Yeah. What's uh, what's the knot that you're using to connect that to? And people can look that up because it's hard to explain knots on uh, a podcast, but uh, we can at least give them the name so they can go to a YouTube video and look at it. Yeah, Dave, the heavyweight champs, the FG. There's no doubt. It's not the easiest knot to tie. Uh, Dan Johnston's not the best at tying it. Uh, guys at work are bugging me about it because I want to do it so bad and I'm still struggling with it. I've watched all the videos on using your teeth and using your feet, and you name it. <laughs> Uh, but that's a good one. The uni to uni is a really easy one to tie and a great knot. It's just slightly bulkier. And then there's another one called a Slim Beauty and then the Alberto. All, all four of those work. The FG is the one for you listeners out there. Learn to tie that one. If they can learn to tie it, it will uh, serve them well, I'm, I'm sure. Um, and is there, um, I know we've talked about this before, but uh, specifically topwater, uh, I believe you said that uh, you like to use mono, and, and why why would you do that? I use mono for a lot of them, and I do it. I like mono because the action it puts on the bait, I love it. It's just old school, smooth um, type deal. Number one, number two, when they get it, it gets me out of the way. Sometimes with braid, now I'm using braid to mono leader, never floro, but I'm using braid to a short mono stubby leader on a walking bait now, and it works amazing. I just started doing that last year, and I'm pretty much inclusive to it, but I still use mono uh, to some degree because for, at least for me, when I go, when they take that bait and I go to jerk on them, I miss more with braid than I do mono. They just get it better, and that's something that's, uh, and maybe it's just the way I fished for my whole life, but that's that's very important to me. Yeah, and and I have had uh, guide clients out, and I tell them on the topwater bike, don't set the hook, just let them eat it. The rod will load, and then just kind of you know lean into it and start reeling. When you got lots of trouble hooks, you, have, you know because otherwise they're uh, you know they're the hooks coming back at somebody, and and that can be dangerous. But yeah, that, I think sometimes the um, the material isn't the ultimate answer to solving all the problems you still have to use the the right techniques and you still have to use apply it correctly uh, to make it work but it, it certainly can help people uh, by at least starting with the right right lines and the uh, the you know applying that to the right technique now uh, one thing I think we should mention is on the closed face reels for the kids, you know, you'd like to think, oh, they're breaking off all the time. We're losing bobbers in the trees, but don't put braids on those because those pickup pins don't pick that up good, do they? 
Well, they don't. And if a pickup pen can be one pen, some reels have up to three. And it's a little white pen that sticks out of the spool that grabs that line. And to your point, more specifically what you mean, Dave, for the listener out there, braid is so limp that sometimes it just literally goes right over the pen and it doesn't even grab it. Number one. Number two, um, if a kid gets a snag, uh, and they, you have that drag crank down and they pull on that snag, it, the brake can bury within itself in the spool. It's kind of hard to explain, but it can be very problematic on spin cast drills. I absolutely don't recommend it, nor do I recommend fluorocarbon because it's a little stiffer and you can have real line management issues with floral on spin cast drills as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if you're putting your own braid on, if it's not a braid-ready spool where it's roughed up where the braid is going to stick to it, put some backing on there, mono backing, tape, uh, something something that that braid will uh, dig into because uh, if it gets after it gets wet, after you're fishing a while, it'll be like you don't have a drag on it. And uh, I think there's quite a few. I see that a lot in my retail store that a lot of people have experienced that. And um, do you normally use backing or tape or what do you do? I tape mine, but gee, hey, this is something people are probably shaking their heads going, what's he talking about? You can put 200 yards of braid direct tied to a spool that'll slip on the spool. It's unbelievable. Where if you put a foot of what you call backing, in other words, put a, put a knot down of mono and then have just a couple feet of it and tie the braid to that, it won't slip. It's, yeah. it's incredible, but that is true. Yep, it is, and you got to do it and. uh, uh you know, we're out of time again, but always appreciate you on, Dan, and look forward to uh, talking to you again next week. Yeah, Dave, thanks always so much for, for having me on. Excellent. That was Dan Johnson. This segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Steve Starley is remote, and the We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. Probably one of the number one questions I get, you know, what line do I use? That's a big debate. For every tour out there, everybody's debating which line. I choose the simple side. My choice of line is Sunline. One of my favorite lines to use is Sunline. How all can you use it? Anywhere you want to. Anywhere there's water and bass, it's good. Walleye, catfish, trout, speckled right, trout, buddy. sharks. There we go. Uh, I don't say this unless I think it's true, but honestly, it's the best in the market. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Rule your water. Rule it with a St. Croix rod. Whether you take to the lake, wade the rivers, or cast from shore, St. Croix provides responsive performance, ensuring your success below every surface. With a St. Croix rod in hand, you're a part of a celebrated tradition that has spanned 70 years. Touch, power, and control are right at your fingertips and extend to you the finest fishing experience on the planet. St. Croix, the best rods on earth. 
Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran. Steve Starley is remote, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. And I always like to say that everyone I interview on this segment has a passion for the outdoors. My next guest certainly does. Uh, also known as the Marathon Man. He's got world championships under his belt and the uh, world record most fish in a 24-hour period. Welcome, Jeff Kolosinski. How you doing, Jeff? Dave, I'm really good. I'm getting psyched up. It's a big week this week, as you know. I do know that. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, uh, who you are and what you do and what's, what's going to take place on uh, Friday and Saturday this week. So I am just another fish head, Dave, uh, a guy who is incurable, can't get enough of fishing, uh, apparently because I'm going to sit on a bank and fish for 24 hours straight, not just for fun and excitement, but uh, to benefit a bunch of people that are really special, like not just to me, but to, to all of us. So over the years, I've done a, a charity fundraiser with the folks at Fishing for Life, uh, and they have some great programs that particularly uh, help our military veterans and their families. So. When people go off to defend our country and um, and serve actively, um, sometimes they're away and they're not able to help kids with homework. Sometimes um, they may not come back. Uh, sometimes uh, they may back and they come back and there's just too much strain. So the folks at Vision for Life, through their next gen program, find mentors for kids and military families, and they've done this for years. And I'm pleased to lean in and uh, start a 24-hour marathon man fishing fundraiser uh, for the Next Gen program. Uh, and this year, we're also opening that up to some local first responders. And the reason for that uh, is they also deserve some help, too. Um, but it is the 20th anniversary of the events of 9-11. And so on my hard day for years, I wanted to be uh, respectful and honor uh, the folks that sacrificed, even at a civilian level that people gave uh, on those days. Um, and this has got to be a way uh, to have a tip of the hat. 20 years after 9-11, I'm going to fish for 24 hours and try to catch 2,977 fish, uh, one fish for every life that was lost by 9-11. Uh, all the proceeds go to help military families and our local first responders there in Spring Bay, Illinois. So it'll be a hometown event, I guess, in the Illinois sense for you. Um, but, man, it's shaping up to be a big a big deal locally and across the internet too as this broadcast live. Excellent, excellent. So uh, if people want to uh, donate or uh, follow you on this, what's the best uh, place for them to do that? That is a great question. I appreciate you asking. Uh, you can tune in to MarathonManFishing.com with a homepage with a number of videos about what we're doing and the, the host there at San Cody Lakes is a fantastic property. Uh, great fishing, great people. And uh, that's where I'll be. It'll be Spring Bay, Illinois, near Peoria. And if you tune out at marathonmanfishing.com, you can find out uh, more information, start and stop times, how to donate, how to help us out, and just help our, our fellow sisters and brothers in the community. Excellent, excellent. And uh, uh, so when you're trying to break this record, are you, uh, are you using a, uh, a cane pole? Or what, what's the equipment that you're using to catch that many fish in a 24-hour period? Well, it would be great. Uh, I'm not in my lungs. Uh, you know, it's, it's not by boat, and it's by shore. It's done from the bank. Uh, and there's a couple reasons for that. One thing I wanted to do was to show people that using some sort of basic tackle, you know, a 10-foot pole, it is kind of like a game pole, it's a crappie pole, but it's 
Yep. And exactly, not exactly how that came. Uh, it's a 10 foot pole, 10 feet of line, a float, and some live bait. And that is the way I started fishing, Dave. And that is the way, as you know, from being involved in ASA in so many events, RBFF, and that's how people start fishing. And I wanted to show people you can catch a ton of fish, have a great time, make great family memories fishing, and do it very simply and inexpensively. The total of the tackle, get this, is under $25. So the point here, I guess, is I'm going to sit on a, a, a dog, a bank, and catch a pile of fish for under $25. And so I want people to get excited about that and say, I'd love to try fishing. Uh, and here's how you can do it. We've had... Somewhere more than I understand, like 6 million new anglers in the last 18 months. And the resurgence of excitement about fishing hasn't been higher in my lifetime. And uh, I want people to have a good start, catch a bunch of fish, have a great time, and know that they're welcome in a sport that anybody, doesn't matter your background, what you look like, what you like to do, anybody can find a home in fishing. They can, and, and I think it is great that we've had that many new ones, and we've had, I believe, close to that many lapsed anglers that hadn't bought a license in uh, five years that have come back, and that, that's good, too. And uh, where many industries, COVID was a disaster for them and still is, our outdoor industry and uh, camping and hunting and fishing and the biking world, uh, you know, we're, we're flourishing because of it, because people are getting back to uh, not simpler times, but times to things they can do with their family and it plays into what you're talking about it doesn't have to be expensive it can be fun uh it can be rewarding you can catch food uh when you're fishing you can you know learn how to fillet uh fish and and uh you know they make great fish tacos or or pan fried you know bluegills nothing better than them <laughs> but but yeah this is all good i think god that that the industry is doing well and like you i'm blessed to be part of the industry here at johnson outdoors and you know, one of the things uh, that COVID did is it drove people um, to what they really value most, and that was family time. And, you know, all of us, we, it was kind of a time to slow down, very literally slow down, and kind of recalibrate and look and say, you know, I want to make more family memories. And fishing is a great canvas to do that. I mean, you can paint any picture, so to speak, that you want. You can go fishing locally, big trips across the country, wherever you'd like to go. You know, fishing can kind of fit where you'd like, how you'd like it. But so many people have come back to the sport and found a home. And I think, you know, I will never be Kevin Van Dam. He's really good. He's super cool. But I can play a role to get people excited about fishing, show them how to do it right. And then also I can play a role as just a citizen and say, I'm going to take the skills that God gave me and uh, grab a bunch of people, make a, a mini movement. Hopefully it's a big movement. Uh, to help people in our local community and our military who who have paid such a big price. And it's going to be a 24-hour time of encouragement when I'm on the bank just to let people know that have served our country as a military or as uh, first responders, that they really are valued. And here's a bunch of people that are driven to motion and driven to doing something to help out and to let them know, not just words. We'll be there in real life. Make a big difference. Uh, yes, you will. And that, yes, you do from the other events that you've done. And we'll give this again at the end. But MarathonManFishing.com is how you can follow Jeff while he goes through this endeavor. Uh, and I do believe that uh, part of the the 
what happened with COVID, as you said, everybody got back to family values, but it took us out of a 24-7 mentality that that, that was a normal way of life. And, and it brought us back to where, you know, I would love to see that every business was closed on Sunday. When when I was growing up, there are not very many businesses were open on Sunday. You did everything uh, before that, and you, you went to church on Sunday and spent it with your family. Right. Um, I long for days where all of our family, even in my own home, are sitting at a dinner table talking, making fun of each other, you know, busting on each other. That was some of the fun of, of being in person. And regrettably, it took kind of a, a control-alt-delete, so to speak, where we reset ourselves in our lives and got back to fishing and spent time outdoors. And um, I appreciate the fact that um, people can find a home uh, doing what they like to do being outside and sport fishing. Yeah, and it, it is fun, and it's relatively inexpensive, and it's uh, outdoors. Can't be more uh, social distancing than that. It's it, it's good. It 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 uh, teaches us so many things that uh, you know to enjoy the outdoors and and how important clean, accessible waters are not only for us but all the other uh, wildlife that lives there, the birds and the, the critters, and uh, it's just a good good thing. They and I and I, you know, we're both in the sport fishing industry, but I. People have to realize this is not a really big industry for the industry itself. We, no. There's a lot of dollars in it. There's a lot of people participating. But the sport fishing industry is is a, is a pretty close-knit family. And we all, um, most of us know each other that are active in the organizations. And uh, it, it's something that we want others to come into it and experience that. It's, it is a good, healthy industry, isn't it? It absolutely is. And, you know, you think about making a difference in your community. One of the things you can do just as an angler to make a difference, buy a fishing license. Yeah. Something so simple as that, the dollars that are raised there go back to, to make sure that our lakes, our rivers are clean, that they have stocks of fish that you want to go out and fish. So something so simple as just going out and buying a fishing license every year is a huge, huge help to fisheries. So when you go out there, you've got something to catch. Yep, and that is true, and and there is something to catch everywhere, and it doesn't have to be, you know, a monster fish or like you said, that not everybody needs to be a Kevin Van Dam. You can just go out and uh, take a, your kids or a neighborhood kids or or both, and go catch bluegills at a pond, and they'll they'll have a blast and have fun. Uh, let's let's give this again here, marathonmanfishing.com. If you want to follow the twenty four hour fishing adventures uh, and see. Uh, how much help and how much uh, Jeff can raise for uh, military and first responders. And that's going to happen on the 10th through the 11th, through 9-10 through 9-11 this week. And uh, anything else you'd like to add to that, Jeff? I do. You know, since this is kind of, you know, obviously it's a national broadcast, but if you are in the state of Illinois and you're anywhere near Peoria, uh, Spring Bay, stop by and visit us at San Cody Lakes. Uh, you can find their SanCodyLakes.com on how to get there. But there'll be a lot of excitement on the bank, and it's going to be something pretty cool. There's going to be a massive fireworks display when we're done. Uh, we'll have some patriotic things uh, happening, a national anthem that will be very special, and really just a tribute to all those who have given something and some who have given all to our country on a day that is um, – really solemn in my heart for 9-11 and that's how we're going to choose to honor those who have lost their lives including our military families and first responders so if you can make it out there you are invited 
Excellent. Thanks, Jeff. We always appreciate having you on and uh, look forward to the next time that you're uh, doing another one of your Marathon Man events. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Good luck. I'd love to see that 2977 number you know, be attained. And I, and I think you're going to do it. I love the vote of confidence. Thanks so much. Uh, my honor to be here with you. God bless you, man. Thanks. Thank you. That was Jeff Kolazinski, Marathon Man. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote. And this segment of the We Fish ASA podcast was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. We will be right back. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Calcutta, we're an outdoor coastal trading company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Born in the back of a Florida bait and tackle shop, Calcutta was created with a rebellious spirit and a goal to offer hardworking outdoor products at a reasonable price. Calcutta builds the products that fit your lifestyle. We're on a mission to help you reclaim your free time and to declare mutiny on the mundane. Depend on Calcutta gear and apparel. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner Dave Kranz is remote. Boy, it's been a long time that uh, Dave and I have been separated. Hopefully we'll be back together again someday. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Please help to ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericafishing.org. And if you're an industry professional, please consider joining the American Sport Fishing Association by visiting them at asafishing.org. Our next guest is uh, one of my favorite guys around. I have the ultimate respect for multi-species fishermen. We have a lot of people on that win a lot of tournaments and people fish for bass. 24-7, 365, fish walleyes. I, I really enjoy it when somebody can cross lines and do more than one thing. We've had a number of them. Uh, it, it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do and be successful. With us today is one of the best multi-species fishermen around. This guy fishes and wins professional muskie tournaments in the PMTT. He wins professional walleye tournaments in the NWT, the Cabela's NWT. Uh, he's doing some bass stuff right now for the uh, in the Bass Pro Shops U.S. Open. Uh, he's still alive in one of the biggest tournaments of the decade. He is from Minnesota. He can catch whatever swimming. Please welcome John Hoyer. Hey, John, how are you? 
I'm doing good, Steve. Thanks. We're, except we're, at, we're out of time. I spent so much time talking about you. We're done. It's nice to have you. Perfect. Uh, just just kidding. Of course. You know, th this this is amazing. And, and I, you know, I looked on your webpage and it said, uh, um, you know, uh, going to the end of the ice belt in search of a two-pound bluegill or drilling hundreds of holes a day on Devil's Lake in search of perch. You talk about all these things you do, and then you're talking about fishing for perch and bluegill. Is there anything that you will not drop a line for? Man, uh, no, definitely not. I mean, I, I feel like I've started developing a bucket list, and now, um, you know, it used to be a certain size of fish, and now it's just starting to include like you know saltwater species or destinations so basically this weekend was another reminder of like really what drives me in fishing and that's a lot of the time it's just not catching anything is like the fun part for me um putting it together so uh, a friend of mine and his wife and i were out on leech lake this weekend it was classic um you know summer slump basically for walleyes and bass everything was kind of picky and after eight hours of fishing, we had 11 perfect keeper walleyes and it caught maybe five bass that were, you know, up to four and a half pounds. Had a musky bite huh. uh, that I saw my active target, got a musky lure, cast it to it, and got it to bite, and I lost it. And uh, But in reality, it was like, maybe I wanted to catch twice as many walleyes that day, but that would be about it. Like, I really huh. like that kind of pace of play. So that's where all that stems from the two pound bluegill search, the trophy perch, whatever. I mean, as long as it's challenging, I like it. Ah, excellent, excellent. Now you have a, you have a zest for fishing, a true passion for it. And I love talking to people like you because that's what inspires people to, to move forward. And, and you know, I said we have a lot of, we had a lot of people on. I could have somebody on to just one an elite and we'll talk about uh, that event and move forward. But you know what, oftentimes, I'm uh, I'm incorrect in the fact that I'll I'll be talking to somebody. We'll talk about their technique for winning a, something at, at Lake Gunnersville or whatever. And what I want to do is make people better fishermen. And I think that by getting the John Hoyer on and not talking about a specific event, because I remember the last time I talked to you on the air, you had won a PMTT and an NWT in like back-to-back -back weeks, a walleye tourney and a, and a muskie tourney, and we talked about the tournaments. But I just want to talk about fishing and catching fish, and I want people to be better fishermen because they, they learn from a pro, they learn from an expert like a John Hoyer. I think that we could all become better fishermen if we listen to you talk about it. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And it's fun for me to kind of look back through my um, beginning stages and stuff. And I think inevitably there's there's stepping stones in people's fishing career, whether it's their hobby or, you know, if it is a part-time profession or if they're really going hard into a tournament trail. And it doesn't matter the species, but, um, I mean, basically, the first tip I would give somebody is, you know, to really utilize their electronics in a way that every time you catch a fish that's noteworthy, you know, the best fishermen in the world, they really just start instantly asking themselves, okay, why? Um, a lot of times on the Great Lakes, you'll just get one bite um, from a 28-incher, say, on Green Bay in a day, and, you know, to be able to sit there and go, okay, what was the water temp? What depth was it? What was the structure? 
uh, why, what put that fish there? Um, in reality, you know, even when it's a five bite a day type tournament, there actually is these little patterns that develop. And, you know, that's what carries a fisherman like myself confidently to know that I'm going to get five, maybe six bites in a day for a tournament. So if you go all the way back down to why did crappies move into the lagoon in the spring and start with the basics, okay, it's the warmest water. I saw some minnows swimming around. There's some weed growth here. That must mean there's probably nice fresh oxygen. Okay, so this is why crappies like this spot. So somewhere from that beginning point all the way to Great Lakes current um, watercolor migration, you know, all that stuff, forage, all those little factors, um, all the way in between there is the same idea of really just trying to take a look at your surroundings, take a look at all the things that you know, and then um, basically build from there. Why did, why is there that fish there? Why was that school of fish there? Why did we catch them? It's never, it's never the spot. It's never the waypoint. Like, uh, I find myself leaving less and less waypoints for fish catches and really just kind of going up to a spot and having like a time frame where I know what I did two days ago here, but it's two days ago. Now what's going on today? So I think that generalization, if I'm not rambling too much, can really kind of help fishermen where Leech Lake especially, like such a big body of water, you never, ever, ever in the rest of your life need to catch a walleye within a half a mile of another boat. Like there's just a million spots on that lake. If you see everybody fishing eight feet of water, they're all fishing, say, Sucker Bay in the sand or whatever. If you go two miles away, there's a spot that's all to yourself, fish that haven't been pressured, and it's eight feet of water and sand. And that's kind of like the big picture of all of it where, um, yeah, that's that's kind of what makes myself, all those bass guys that have had success, and anyone else who's excelled in fishing as a career, that's what they're doing. Makes sense to me, and I agree with that. And uh, I, I like if you catch a fish, you, 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 gotta, you need to figure out why you caught that fish and try to duplicate it because normally that will happen. Uh, one of the problems is with uh, basing your presentations and tactics off of experience is when you catch that fish that really shouldn't have been caught. Uh, I always think back, I was in Canada with a guy and I was trying to get a I was trying to get a bird's nest out of my bait casting reel, so I was just letting the, the boat blow across the lake as I was working on this, and the guy I was with catches a uh, seven-pound walleye on a five of diamonds in like 45 feet of water, uh, and that, that fish shouldn't have been there. And for the next couple of years when we go to Canada, he always wanted to go to 45 feet of water and throw five of diamonds for walleye. And I go, no, we're not going to do that, but it worked before. That's a hard thing to, to get it get over once it gets into your head. Sometimes catching that fish wasn't the best thing in the world for you. For sure. And we always joke, like in practice, this is for National Walleye Tour, you know, the big walleye tour tournament. But, you know, as we're trying random things, as we're trying five of devil spoons in, five, in 50 feet of water or <laughs> a five of diamond spoon in one, feet, one foot of water, you know, uh, we always say two is a pattern. So there will always be that one random fish, and, you know, there's a lot of stories like yours is awesome. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's the second that you catch two, you know, for myself, that's noteworthy, especially if it's two, like, you know, either trophy fish or tournament-grade fish. 
So that's when I start looking at it and saying, okay, you know, where else, do, where else can I find an area like this that has, you know, the big boulders and the wind blowing in and 10 feet of water? I'll go try this lure here again. Um, you know, and when you start catching three or four tournament grade fish, you know, now you have my full attention because you only need five, you know, in our walleye tournaments. Right, and, right. Yeah, right. Five big ones or whatever the case might be, whatever the slot is. But um, we always say two is a pattern. So there's definitely some of those outlier bites that you should ignore and move on. But if you got all the time in the world, you know, maybe go explore that 45 feet of water. Maybe it's not a five of diamond spoon. Maybe that was right. a fluke. But what if, what if you got a, some crankbaits out there? True. So true. And, and uh, another thing, John, I, uh, I was with my family on Lake Geneva in Wisconsin, and we were having dinner in a restaurant high up over the, the water and looking down, and I'm watching a guy uh, uh, doing a trolling pass along the shoreline, and I could see the water pretty well from up high. And I said, uh, told him, I, I told my wife, I said, this guy's going to catch a fish when he comes by here and cast to this dock right there. I could see the, I could see there was a drop off. I could see there was, uh, uh, there, there were, there were weeds there. I just looked like a fish holding spot, and boom, he casts and, and he, he gets a nice bass right there. And uh, <laughs> they release the bass and they keep, they keep uh, moving. And my wife said, "Why aren't they fishing there more? Why are they leaving after they caught one fish?" And I said. I honestly don't know. Well, 20 minutes later, I see him coming back again, and boom, they catch another fish off of that dock, release it, and they're on their way. And I'm thinking, I would have worked that spot harder. I would have, I would have uh, casted the heck out of that thing and dissected it apart, a and they didn't. They were happy to kept catch a fish, a pass, a and I think a lot of times anglers make that mistake. I agree 100%. Um, you know, you were talking about that St. Clair Bass Tournament. Um, we had a day and a half to practice, and we found, you know, in, in shallower, in 14 to 16 feet of water, there was tons of, like, two-and-a-half to three-and-a-half pounders. So we kept kind of pushing out deeper, and we ended up in about 20 feet. And, I mean, St. Clair, I mean, even myself, trying to, do, trying to make some sort of a pattern of, of, you know, what we're fishing. You know what oh is it these tufts of grass that are out here and there's mm -hmm. less of them yes. so that's why these are more magnetic but um basically we caught like three or four fish that were around four pounds so that's where we started the tournament but at the end of that day i had searched through a featureless area in my mind just sand grass i probably covered about a quarter mile in the morning and caught some fish here and there and finally caught a four pounder uh you know at say 10 a.m and for the rest of that day, I don't think I moved more than a square area about half the size of a football field. And we ended up catching like 60 bass that day. We called probably 18 times, and the big ones just started biting as the day went on. Like the later it got, the bigger the bites got. And we're in this ocean of similar water, but the electronics told me, the catch rate told me, and the quality told me that I didn't need to go anywhere else. Everything I was looking for was right here. And if you look at my track, it's literally just this windy little path, like a little kid drew a, her first drawing on a piece of paper with a crayon. Like that was my track. I was just moving around this one little area. But um, yeah, it's a classic case that comes up in all fishing. And in reality, I think a lot of the important part of that, you know, on any lake is 
you know, what is a good catch rate? What am I looking for? Um, you know, say Leech Lake on walleye opener. Well, we will catch our limit of walleyes by the end of the day. Right now we're catching three or four an hour. I know there's something better out there. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to leave fish to find fish. But when you do start getting on that spot, you realize maybe it's a really tough day and you're catching three or four an hour. That's the time where it's like, okay, this is acceptable. We're just going to stay here and we're going to keep fishing and we're going to get our bites you know, here and there and uh, kind of like what you're referring to. Excellent. Hey, we need to take a quick break. Let our sponsors have a word. We'll talk uh, to John Hoyer about his sponsors when we come back. This is We Fish ASA. I am Steve Sterling. Dave Kranz is my partner. John Hoyer is the guest on the line, the noted John Hoyer, bass expert, muskie expert, walleye expert. I think this guy's the best multi-species fisherman in the country on the water right now. John Hoyer will be back with us when we return. You know, when I look at the tournaments I've won, probably four or five of the boats that I've won have been on a tube. But I had completely gotten away from flipping a tube because nobody, nobody made one soft enough. Big Bite has come with this new tour series of baits. The thing that's probably the most unique is when you look at that bait, the salt just rolls out of it. And to me, that is the reason a fish bites a tube and hangs on to it. This isn't one of those, let's go out and catch some smallmouth tube. This is a let's get it done tube. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world. And with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth. St. Croix. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I am Steve Surley. My partner, Dave Kranz, is not in the studio. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Pleased to have with us John Hoyer, one of my favorite multi-species fishermen from Minnesota. This guy can catch them all, and he has caught them all in tournament situations. Uh, the, the the pressure is not too much for him. I last saw John Hoyer uh, in Orlando, Florida at the ICAST convention, and I, I just happened to notice uh, uh, Chase Parsons sitting down at a table uh with, with uh, a tray going to have lunch and I looked and his father Gary Parsons is next to him and on the other side of him is John Hoyer and I go hey John Hoyer's traveling some pretty uh, pretty heavy company right there you are part of the next bite which is an incredible uh, an incredible operation a fishing media uh, organization uh, you know that was uh, founded by uh, by uh, Gary Parsons uh, probably the uh, 
the top walleye angler in the world. How, how What has that done for you, and how are you enjoying that relationship, John Hoyer? <laughs> I'm loving it, and I actually I get goosebumps when you talk about, you know, Gary and Chase and, um, you know, formerly Keith Gavias and, you know, I met Gary as a co-angler. I fished with him on the final day at Devil's Lake uh, my last year as a co-angler. And our conversation in the boat by the end of the day was, I mean, it was like next level fishing ideology, basically. So when he had asked me to co-host a show, that was another uh, amazing realization in my life. Like, whoa, what? I've been watching these guys on their television show and fishing the PWT for like 15 years, um, you know, literally idolizing them. And the amount of fishing information i've learned from their show is like bar none i mean literally the most informational fishing show that i i mean i sound biased but i think has ever been on tv they've exposed more tournament winning walleye bites especially than any other show and you know these are stuff that if you weren't at the tournament and fishing next to a guy and watching how he was working his rod you might be a hundredth place in that tournament and you heard that so gary parsons and keith cavias took first and second on a shiver minnow and you would still have no clue but those guys their entire career have turned around shot a show on it showed exactly how they won the tournament and there you are you're out for instance so um you know, fast forward to last year, um, Keith stepped away from it because of the fact that, you know, he was getting older and he had to kind of choose. Like, he needed more time uh, with his family and everything, so he had to either choose and he loves tournaments so much, he decided to keep fishing tournaments. And that kind of opened the door for actually four of us um, who are now co-hosts of the next bite. So it's uh, Gary, who we call the godfather of walleye, his son Chase, uh, Corey Sprangle, literally the Tiger Woods of walleye tournament fishing. Uh, he's won more walleye tournaments than anyone uh, anyone has ever done in that amount of time frame. Um, and then Tommy Kimos, who actually is a partner with Chase and Gary on the tournament trail. Uh, Jason Shakirat, and then myself. So, um, yeah, I look around, and these are like some of my best friends now. And <laughs> it's really, it's, it's just it's i have to pinch myself on the daily to say i get to call those guys some of my best friends and it, it, it is cool and uh uh amazingly talking about multi-species uh i've seen uh, uh gary and uh, uh gary and chase uh, fishing the sturgeon bay open as a team a bat, uh, smallmouth bass tournament up uh, by green bay uh tommy chemos is is a, a pretty darn good bass fisherman as well as walleye if i recall uh uh, he was the first uh, professional angler that was not a bass fisherman to get sponsored by Strike King. They wanted to get into walleye, so you talked to Tommy Chemos because, hey, he could talk bass, and uh, he can certainly cross over into the walleye. So it's it's a nice uh, group that you guys have there, and I think that having you involved with the next bite was a good choice by them. Hey, tell, tell us about muskies. Muskie tournaments, uh, and you've been fortunate enough to win them before, uh, there are people who are against muskie tournaments, and I, I I enjoy it. I think it's 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 amazing. Um, it's tough when first place is a forty nine incher and second place is a forty seven incher. Is that first place really a better fisherman than the second place because they caught a two inch bigger fish? 
I, I have a lot of respect when you have a muskie tournament and the first place wins uh, wins because they've caught multiple fish. That's a tough thing to do, you know. Uh, uh, r- rather than rather than catch one, what do you think about that? Are, are muskie tournaments uh, are muskie tournaments the right thing? Is it a, is it a fair competition in that respect? Yeah, it is for sure. And I'll, I'll start by saying anyone who's against a muskie tournament has never caught a muskie in a tournament because that is the biggest adrenaline rush, rush in fishing by far. Um, I've caught, you know, I've been in the moment before in walleye tournaments and bass tournaments um, where you have a very big fish on, you know, like a 28-incher. Maybe it's your fifth one. Maybe it's your limit fish, and you already have four huge ones in your live well. And still to this day, you know, I just fished a muskie tournament a couple weekends ago. Um, and I caught a 37 and a 39 on day one, which are, you know, small muskies in Minnesota. And still like shaking to go get the camera, shaking when you take the bump board picture. I mean, it is exciting stuff. Um, you know, you're spot on. It's always tough when there is a, you know, really tough bite and a guy catches a 49 and beats a 47. You know, they both caught a muskie. That part was luck. Um, but in reality, most muskie fin- uh, tournaments are decided by multiple fish. You know, you usually need three muskies to win a tournament. And be able to catch three muskies in two days, um, you know, you're fishing a pattern. You have a pattern, um, almost like what we're looking for in walleye and bass fishing. You know, you have you definitely had multiple spots, and you had a pattern that kind of carried over through them. Or you just outfished them, you know, kind of like MLF format where, the conditions change and you just go fishing and it looks right and hey you caught your second fish on a top water and then you caught your third one deep on a rubber bait you know that's those guys deserve to win too so i that's where i got my start in tournament fishing was musky tournaments and uh, my partner caught one on his second cast on a figure eight and i was completely hooked from then on like i it's it's some of the most fun the most challenging tournament fishing there is i don't know about you uh Part of the uh, uh, the science of tournament fishing is figuring out how long to stay on a spot, when you move. You talked about uh, leaving fish to catch fish, and, and we know what that's all about. A lot of times I think that, especially at bass and walleye, if you have a productive spot uh, that you're very confident, you go, confident in, you go to and you're not getting anything, I, I always figure... It's a tough choice whether to leave, to go find the spot that they're at, or wait, because you know that spot is so good, they are going to come back eventually. They will eat there at some point. And if you leave, maybe right after you leave, they're coming back in. I don't think that muskies are the same way. I think muskies are more of a milk run thing. You hit your spot, you move. You hit your spot, you move. You hit your spot, you move. Staying on that spot and waiting is not as productive as moving to a new spot. What do you think about that, John Hoyer? Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, my partner, Jason Hamernick, and I actually had that talk. And we we had won the last two tournaments we fished in Minnesota. And, you know, in reality, in the tournament before that, we did really well, too. But I realized how much run and gun I was doing. So... Um, part of that is kind of getting comfortable in a tournament mindset, but uh, a generalization of all tournament fishing, the most successful tournament anglers are the best time management people. Um, you know, that scenario you're talking about, I when I first started fishing tournaments on the NWT, I was leaning on a lot of what, 
you know, I learned in musky fishing as feeding windows. So um, would I stay in the same spot and just beat it to death musky fishing? No, but I would come back at moonrise or when the wind picked up and I kind of rest that spot, you know, for an hour or so or two hours, I go back. I knew the fish were there and I just needed them to bite. Like when they were going to bite was the time to be there. So, um, but in reality, I wasted a lot of time in my walleye uh, tournaments you know, sitting on spots and waiting. So there's a balance between run and gun and, you know, those slower catch rates that we talked about earlier. And somewhere in between there, you're buying yourself minutes. So if I can recognize that this day is completely different on spot A in a walleye tournament, and I'm already going to lower my expectations, assuming that, you know, it's probably not going to work out. This is kind of my mindset nowadays. So I have to start there. But it's going to be different. Two days have gone by. Now, can I leave there in 30 minutes instead of an hour and 30? Or can I buy myself 20 minutes by being decisive and going and moving out deeper, maybe shallower? Um, those are the little decisions that I've started getting comfortable making and really kind of fish freely in a tournament. But I love watching live bass fishing. And if you watch those guys... Um, that's the number one takeaway for myself in bass fishing. It's not necessarily presentation. It's, you know, how do these guys manage their time? Watch Jacob Wheeler, um, how he won the last MLF on Champlain. He was the guy that was moving the fastest. And he was literally casting the fish on his active target and giving them like five seconds to make the decision. And then he would just move on to the next fish. So he was the only guy who was fishing that fast. So that was the number one takeaway from that. And um, in reality, that is the be all end all. How much time can you buy yourself by the end of the day? Can you still have four hours to scrape together like one or two more key bites um, or even that's what I feel is the number one uh, reason for success in tournament fishing. Excellent, man. John Hoyer, I think you made everybody a better fisherman today. I had so many more questions. We're going to have to do this again uh, real soon. Uh, maybe after you win that uh, Bass Pro Shops uh, U.S. Open Championship in November would, would be a good time to get together again. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, that'd be fun. I already... Uh, I've been having some uh, sushi parties. Yeah. When uh, that one year when I won a couple of NWTs and I'd invite friends and like our best total was like three thousand dollars in sushi. <laughs> and I was joking with those friends and like, if we win this bass tournament, uh, I think we're gonna rent the whole little restaurant out and try to fill all the tables with sushi and just have a sushi eating contest. Oh. So I think that maybe you should come over for that and I, we can just talk in person. I would I would love to do that. Hey man, that is fantastic. John Hoyer, I called him the best multi-species fisherman in the country today. I'm not backing down off of that. I think this guy is really good. Pro bass, pro muskies, pro walleyes. He catches them all. Check out John Hoyer on the next bite. Uh, great, great uh uh, on social media, on uh, YouTube, on television. Next Bite uh, with uh, Gary and Chase Parsons is, is excellent, excellent uh, instructive television and very, very entertaining. John Hoyer, thanks for being with us. We'll do it again real soon. I appreciate your help. Thanks again, Steve. Take care. Bye, John. Take care. John Hoyer. That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank our guests for today. 
Dan Johnston from St. Croix. We visited with uh, Jeff Kalazinski, the marathon man. He's going to break that record for most fish caught in a 24-hour period. Again, he is the marathon man. And I love talking to my friend John Hoyer, one of the best multi-species fishermen in America. We'll be talking to him again in the future. Uh, this guy knows fishing, and uh, if, if it swims, he's on it. John Hoyer. I'd like to thank our sponsor, St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion. And Daiwa, they have what you need for every application and at every price point. There is no reason not to be using Daiwa Reels. Remember that We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available 24-7 everywhere you get your podcast. Don't forget, you can get a free We Fish ASA app for iDevices at the Play Store. And the podcast is always available at our website, wefishasa.com. If you like what you hear, let us know. We love your emails and messages. Letter Rip will answer you right away. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about or someone you think we ought to have on the show, let us know that too. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week. Now, let's go fishing. I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it.